Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. As believers, we often find ourselves challenged by various individuals concerning the very existence of God. Many atheists today have launched an all-out assault on the truths of the Bible and the very foundations upon which it is based. Well, this shouldn't come to us as any surprise, really. Scriptural truth has always been assailed down through the ages, and the Bible itself speaks of the forms of unbelief we can expect. In today's message, evangelist and teacher Mr. Michael Penfold looks at the atheist's attitudes of today and compares them to what we read in Romans chapter 1. And the parallels are absolutely astounding. Mankind's unbelieving response to the truth is revealed in all of its fullness there. Despite the 24-7 revelation from God, people still choose to reject it, suppress it, or change it into something else. We're sure that you'll find Mr. Penfold's remarks most informative as we look at this very relevant topic for Christians today. Now shall we read together please in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. A verse in Psalms please, Psalm 14 verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching in Athens, and he says one or two things there about creation that are of great interest. Acts chapter 17, verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens. He says at the end of verse 23, he's going to declare God to them, and in verse 24 he starts, God that made the world. And all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath. Verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations for to dwell on all the face of the earth, a scientific statement, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Verse 28, For in him we live, and move, and have our being, as certain also of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God is like unto gold and silver, and stone, and graven with art and man's device. God is a coherent God, and a rational God, a God of order, a God of wisdom, and so on. He's made us in his image. That's the very argument he's using in verse 29. These people worship idols. So they worship idols of wood and stone. Paul is saying to them, how on earth could those things have made you? You are a living, breathing, moving, thinking human being. You must be the offspring of something different to that. So he's working back from humanity, even using their own philosophers. Now finally, Romans chapter 1. And we're going to concentrate on Romans chapter 1 in this session. If you've never really noticed Romans 1 as a pivotal chapter in the Bible, please Take it on board today. I know we're familiar with Romans 3 and Romans 5 in the Gospel, but Romans 1 is a very powerful chapter 
especially in our day and generation, and we need to get to grips with it. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Notice these words. That which can be known. Manifest. Showed. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and God, so that they are without excuse, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which do such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but a pleasure in them that do them. We might rightly ask ourselves, why do people have such a hard time with truth? and with the truth of the word of God. Why is there such a debate about truth? Why isn't it just plain obvious to people? Well, Romans chapter 1 is going to answer that question. Romans chapter 1 is a biblical analysis of humanity's attitude to truth. Let me say that again. Romans chapter 1 is a biblical analysis of mankind's attitude to truth. So if you still get your Bible open, look at verse 18 at the end. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. That word hold literally means to suppress. Not hold as in hold on to, but to hold down, to suppress. So what's mankind's attitude to truth? To suppress it. Look down to verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. Perhaps better rendered, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So here's the truth being suppressed in verse 18. The truth being exchanged in verse 20. Now, as we go down Romans chapter 1, we're being given a history lesson. There's a sort of a cascade going from one step to the next. So, let's start at verse 19. Here's the start of this little run through human history by Paul, directed by the Spirit of God. So, we start in verse 19 with the power and glory of God in display. That which may be known of God, it's manifested. It's being shown. Verse 20, they can see it. They can understand it. No one can plead ignorance. These two verses are simply saying that to everybody under the canopy of heaven, every human being on planet Earth, God has put something on display 24-7. There are no closing times to this revelation from God. 24 hours a day, whether it's under the microscope, whether it's in the telescope, however it might be, God has put on a display of his glory and of his power and of his nature and of his attributes. What does man do with that display? What does man do with that divine exposition of truth? Well, here it is. He does three things. Number one, in verse 18, he suppresses it. The Greek scholar A.T. Robertson says of this verse, Truth is out in the open, but wicked men, so to speak, put it in a box sit on the lid and hold it down in unrighteousness. You say, what way do they suppress it? Well, they're suppressing it from actually having an effect on them. 
they are deliberately not allowing the truth to take hold of their heart. Somebody said to me just yesterday that they were asked to take a funeral and the person that asked them said, just speak about the person who died, but don't mention God, don't mention the Bible. Why are people so afraid and so resistant? They don't believe that God exists, they don't believe that the gospel is true, but they don't even want you to mention it. They've had this allergic reaction to it. This is verse 18. They are seeking to suppress it. They don't want it to get near them. They don't want it to govern their conduct. They don't even want it to flow out to others, to their children, to their friends. So, God puts his truth on display, man suppresses it. What happens? Verse 21. His mind becomes darkened. I think this is going to be helpful to you. So you're watching a debate on YouTube between a Christian and an atheist. And the Christian seems to be making all these good arguments and the atheist just has answers to everything. He has a way around it all and he can make it all sound so plausible and he doesn't seem to have a problem with the universe coming out of nothing. He doesn't seem to have a problem with the theory of evolution. He just, he seems very clever. And and, and you might just think for a moment, maybe there's something to what this guy's saying. How is it that... He has the same evidence as you do. He can read the Bible. He can look up at the stars. How come he doesn't see what you see? Well, you see, once a person decides as a volitional act of the heart not to allow God to get in on them, there are consequences. Romans chapter 1 says, their mind becomes darkened. That's a solemn thing. So these leading men, I'm just, we're thinking of Richard Dawkins and others. You have your men in Canada and the US over here. You have people like Daniel Dennett and Harris and Krauss and other men. They don't look like it. But biblically, the Spirit of God is telling us their minds are darkened. You say, but but, but they're clever. Yeah, look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Somebody said to me in the interval, Richard Dawkins needs more faith to be an atheist than I do to be a Christian. I I know exactly what that person's saying by that. Because it's not really faith, but I, I know what that person's saying. How is it? That on the one hand, these guys are obviously clever, obviously brilliant, obviously scientific. They can write books, they can do experiments and all. They get Nobel Prizes and all that. It's all wonderful. But how is it that at the same time, they just do not believe in God? They do not believe in the Bible. They just don't. They have become vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart has become darkened. They profess themselves to be wise, but they're actually fools. So, number one. The suppression of truth and its consequences. What does he do now? Verse 23. He changes the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible men. So he's looking back in history and saying, look, when Adam and Eve were there in the Garden of Eden, they knew there was a God. For a thousand years after that, Adam was on earth. Anybody that didn't believe in God, you could just go to Adam and say, "Uh, Adam, tell this fellow he's got doubts. And Adam could say, well, where do you think I came from? So the knowledge of God was there for the first thousand years. As time went by, men fell into idolatry. Why? Because they exchanged the glory of God into this image made like unto corruptible man. So they're downgrading glory of their creator, making God into their own image, fashioning a God like themselves. Unbelievable. What happens? Moral catastrophe follows, verse 24. God gave them over to uncleanness. So hand in hand with the rejection of God goes moral uncleanness. So man represses the truth, verse 18. Man downgrades God's glory, verse 23. Now here's the big thing in verse 25. The final step. He exchanges the truth of God for a lie. Now I'm not sure what version you've got with you today. 
If I was to read this in Greek, it would read like this. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God into the lie. This is a staggering statement. The truth gets exchanged for the lie. Now, it wasn't an accident. Look at verse 28. Even as they did not like, they did not want to retain God in their knowledge. Verse 32, they knew they were wrong. They knew it was against God, but they had pleasure in it and pleasure in the company of it. What a catastrophic description of human history. Now, mark this. How different that is to the way the world thinks about itself. So if you were to look up a philosophical history of the world written by a modern-day philosopher, it would more unlikely say the exact opposite. Romans chapter 1 tells us they start with a knowledge of God. They move down a step and accept polytheism, multiple gods. Moving down a step further, they have accepted the lie. Now they're into all kinds of abominable behaviors and deliberate reprobation and judgment. This is a downhill pathway. Look up your history books. Look up an atheist story of history. It is the exact opposite. Here would be Richard Dawkins' story of history. Well, you see, when man first appeared off the savannah in Africa, he was a animist who worshipped the trees. And, and then eventually he graduated from animism to polytheism. Well, that was a sort of a step in the right direction. And, and then eventually the monotheistic religions of Christianity and Islam and Judaism came along. And finally, we all grew up and realized that God didn't make us. We actually made God. And we're all now atheists. And it's all now wonderful. It's a steady progress up and up and up and up. So in Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, he has a chapter in which he pompously makes the claim that the more intelligent a person is, the less likely he is to believe in God. And if you look at societies, the ones that are the best educated, there's the bigger percentage of atheists in them. And so here's the story that man would like to put. Human history has been a chart of progress from ignorance to knowledge, from the primitive to the sophisticated, from the Stone Age to the Space Age. It's getting better. That sounds like a song, doesn't it? It's getting better. It's getting bigger. It's getting more wonderful. And so Charles Darwin, he's he's writing in his autobiography, quote, Believing as I do that man in the distant future will be a far more perfect creature than he now is. And so this is what science is trying to teach to us, artificial intelligence and the next step, man and machine in perfect harmony. And it's all a deliberate attempt to twist the true history of humanity and turn it on its head. Mankind has this story that it tells itself, a story of progress. No, says God, it's not like that at all. I mentioned this afternoon an atheistic philosopher by the name of Bertrand Russell. He lived from 1872 to 1970. He wrote a famous tract or book called Why I Am Not Christian. Somebody challenged him one day and said to him, right, Bertrand, just follow me for a moment. Let's just say you die and you end up standing before God after all. Turns out you were wrong. There really is a God. And you're now standing before him. And he says to you, why didn't you believe in me? What would you say to him? Said Bertrand Russell. I would say to him, not enough evidence. Not enough evidence. Now that is an attempt 
to fly in the face of Romans chapter 1. What did we read in verse 20 at the end? They are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? Because there is enough evidence. And the evidence is on display. They have no excuse for their unrighteousness. No excuse for their ungratefulness. No excuse for their idolatry. No excuse for mistaking who God is. Now here, let me make a claim. That friend of yours who's an atheist, that professor of yours who's an atheist, that neighbor of yours who's an atheist, and you just can't get through to them. Perhaps you think that their problem is intellectual. And you just think, if I could just read one more apologetic book, watch one more three-hour debate on YouTube, I would finally have the argument that I'd give to them, and then I'll convince them. Romans chapter 1 teaches us this, if it teaches us anything. That man's problem with truth is not intellectual. It is volitional. Now, what does volitional mean? Well, volitional is to do with your will. It's what you want. Your volition. It's all a question of choice. What kind of world do you want? What kind of universe do you want? What kind of life do you want? What kind of lifestyle do you want? That's where the problem is. Man's problem is not intellectual. His problem is volitional. If an atheist says to you they don't believe in God, we kind of think, oh, they don't believe in anything. There isn't anybody alive today who doesn't believe in anything. You, you can't live in a vacuum. Verse 25 says they've rejected the truth. Does that leave you in a vacuum when you reject the truth? When you reject the truth, the very act of rejecting the truth means you're believing the lie. And so these people in Romans 1, they weren't atheists, we know that. They were, they were idol worshippers. But they had put a God of their own making in place of the true God that made them. What is idolatry? It's giving pride of place to a God substitute. It's venerating a God of your own making. And this is what these people were doing in Romans chapter 1. You say, well, does that apply to atheists? Absolutely. These people were bowing down to metal idols. The atheistic scientists and philosophers of our day are bowing down to mental idols. Verse 25, follow it with me one more time. They exchanged the truth for the lie. They exchanged the worship of the true God for the worship of idols. Now, here's a question for you. What's the big lie today? What's the big exchange today? What's taking pride of place on the television, in academia and in the media? What is the big alternative meta-narrative, the big story that our culture has swallowed, has accepted? What is the reigning paradigm in 21st century Western society? It is the lie of naturalism. You say, what is naturalism? Naturalism is the idea there's nothing other than the physical parts of the cosmos around us. That's all that exists. In the words of Sagan, the universe is all that is or was or ever will be. There are no miracles. There are no souls. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no God. That is the big lie. That everything came from nothing by accident. That life arose from non-life by chance. That genetic variation and natural selection accounts for everything. That the universe is all that is or was or ever will be. And the truth of the Bible and the truth of theism, the truth of the gospel has been jettisoned. And in its place has come this tremendous explanatory mechanism. The lie of evolution. Good old Charles Darwin. 
I don't know whether you saw recently, but a letter he wrote in 1880 sold recently for $197,000. Now, why am I mentioning this letter? Because we, again, give atheistical scientists too much credit by imagining that they're all unbiased, they're all dispassionate, they're all honest. They all come to their laboratory in the morning thinking, well, if I get evidence that there's a God, I'll believe it, and if I don't, I won't. No, no. What you'll find is, as in Romans chapter 1, there is a deliberate bias going on here that stems from the fallen nature of man. Darwin did not approach his study of nature ready to believe either way. He was raised a Unitarian. That is to say, he was brought up believing no virgin birth, no deity of Christ, no trinity, just a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So somebody wrote to him and asked him, I want to read your book, The Origin of Species, but before I read it, I don't want it to destroy my faith in the New Testament. So can you please tell me whether or not you believe in the New Testament? And I'd like to know that, and then I'll read your book. Whatever you say, I'll just keep it private. And he did, he kept it private. And here in Darwin's handwriting, you can see it online, he writes to this man, Dear Sir, I am sorry to have to inform you that I do not believe in the Bible as a divine revelation and therefore not in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Yours faithfully, Charles Darwin. Those who studied his life will tell you that Darwin superimposed a certain philosophical worldview onto nature and then went around gathering the facts to boost that. He was very angry with God. He thought the Gospels were full of errors. Do you know what he called natural selection? He wrote another letter in which he described that he believed not in the intervention of creative power because if I believed in the intervention of creative power that would make my deity, natural selection, superfluous. A staggering statement. Romans chapter 1, they've exchanged the truth of a creator God for the lie of idolatry. Here's Darwin. He rejects the deity of Christ. He's a Unitarian. He becomes an atheist. He exchanges the truth for what? A God of his own making? He calls it natural selection. Tongue in cheek. Many a word of truth spoken in jest. My deity. So, what are we learning? Atheism is deliberate. Atheism does not come naturally. doesn't matter what they say. Atheism is a deliberate rejection of God. Atheism is ill-motivated. Not unbiased. It comes from the fallen nature of rebellious man who doesn't want God telling him what to do. Atheism is inexcusable. We mustn't look at an atheist and say, oh, poor fellow, he's so sincere and he really means well. He just can't get his head round the fact that there's a God. No, 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 no. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Psalm 14, verse 1. Atheism is absolutely inexcusable. Why? Because God is obvious. Absolutely obvious. Yes, there's more to the statement, I don't believe there's a God, than meets the eye. It's more than an intellectual difficulty. The will is very much involved. In fact, despite all these atheistic arguments, 
God makes one pronouncement, they are without excuse. The evidence is all in, for all to see and to investigate. Perhaps you never really considered the case. Maybe you're believing what you've been taught all of your life, that we're merely primates living on an insignificant planet with an origin based on chance and necessity. Have you ever checked it out? Have you ever looked into the Word of God to see what He has to say about it? We trust that today's message will start you on a quest for truth, biblical truth that is, and that you will discover the Lord Himself who longs for you to come into a saving relationship with Him. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.